0: You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. With the number of births in the United States annually measured in the millions, umbilical cord blood collections only number in the thousands. Why has an umbilical cord blood collection for subsequent transplantation caught on among physicians and their patients? Today we are discussing umbilical cord blood transplantation. In this segment, we will be focusing on the controversies surrounding umbilical cord blood donations. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Maury Krauss, founder and chief technology officer of Viaso, a company specializing in cord blood banking and research. Welcome, Mr. Krauss. We are pleased to have you on the show. My pleasure. In the U.S., it is illegal to profit off human tissue transactions, yet... To the objective observer, there is abundant evidence that cord blood donation is a profitable trade. Multiple companies compete in doctor and direct-to-consumer advertising, and some companies even compensate doctors directly for collecting cord blood when the insurance industry won't. How do you explain this phenomenon to doctors who feel that the commercial hype around cord blood donation may hide some therapeutic or scientific weakness, or at the very least makes them a little uncomfortable that somebody is profiting and isn't on the up and up on that point.
1: It's just like any technology in the early adoption phase. There are absolutely questions about these types of things. So let's dig right into this. First, going back to your introduction, Dr. Benson, I'd like to say that cord blood collections and banking has been increasing steadily since... The late 1990s. Today, there's over 400,000 family units that are stored in the family banking system. And over 25,000 obstetricians have collected cord blood for our company alone. These cord blood stem cells are actually the property of the neonate, the newborn, and therefore belong to the family under the guardianship of the parents. And if there's value in them and there's a reason not to throw them away, then we believe that parents need to be educated about this. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them to consider this option. They don't have to do it. Nobody twists their arm to do it. But we do want to give them the information because, in fact, these cord blood stem cells could be very valuable in the health history of their family. By the age of 21, there's a 1 in 333 chance that a child will develop a disease that's treatable with cord blood. Now, only about one in 2,700 chance that they'll have a disease that can be for which their own cord blood stem cells can be used, and about one in 1,500 chance that it could be used for a sibling. But if you're a family and you have specific health history concerns, or you want to have the best options available for for your family in the future. You should at least be educated about the potential value for cord blood stem cells. Now, they may not be used for a variety of reasons. Hopefully, as parents hope that they'll never need it and will hope that they'll never need it. But the fact is that these cases do happen and people speculate that if they have their cord blood stored and they need it, they'll have the best option for their family. And they also speculate to some extent on the potential future
0: uses of cord blood stem cells for diseases such as diabetes and cardiac injury, etc. You touched on something that I would like to emphasize for our audience, and that is that only 20% of stem cell collections or cord blood collections are actually used for the person who actually derived the stem cells but 80% are used for first-degree relatives or close relatives with appropriate tissue types. So your firstborn won't necessarily be donating blood as much for himself or herself as for siblings or perhaps other family members.
1: Yeah, that's important to understand and let me let me characterize that a little bit. It's 80% of the samples are used for siblings today. And that's because uh, often we know that there's a sibling that is affected and we need to use the cord blood unit from the donating sibling. But it should be understood that as the health history of those children ages or seasons and the bank seasons that the chances of using a unit for autologous use will increase. And there's essentially about a third the chance of using for a sibling.
0: Now, one of the controversies about this is the expense. And I think the, the idea is that Every family and set of parents that's informed about this would, of course, want to collect cord blood for possible future use. I think the issue is really opportunity cost, the cost and the benefit, which is really something that's really considered in every uh, medical procedure. And in this case, there's not really a risk of injury, but there is a financial expense involved. And I've seen somewhere that a common Upfront charge for banking the blood privately is fifteen hundred dollars and it's a hundred dollars a year thereafter to continue the banking. And the opportunity cost for that, if that money were put aside just for the child's college education, by age eighteen it would be worth six thousand dollars. And in some of your literature it said that there's a one in a hundred chance that by age fifty Somebody would develop a disease treatable by a cord blood donation, in which case if that money is put aside for 50 years, then you're talking about $40,000. So I think one of the issues is the expense, and these are typically young families for which – this money isn't necessarily uh, very easy to come by. So how do you answer those who are concerned about uh, the opportunity cost of money and the expense relative to the benefit that the family will actually use that donation one day?
1: I appreciate the question. This is a question a lot of families and doctors have. Let's just understand the metrics. The Institute of Medicine that recommended establishment of the National Cord Blood Bank has recognized that it costs about $2,000 to process a cord blood into cryopreservation in the public banking system. And when you go to buy a cord blood out of the public banking system, it costs between $25,000 and $35,000. So I think if we use that as a metric of what the therapeutic value is of a cord blood unit today and what it costs to store cord blood, we're using the right baseline For the family banking system, essentially we have to reach the OB and reach the customer with marketing materials. We provide a uh, kit for the collection of the cord blood with, for instance, FDA approved collection bags and and so forth. And we have uh, courier handheld chain of custody courier service to bring that unit to our processing facilities. We uh, have a fairly uh, labor-intensive, even though it's automated, a fairly labor-intensive process of reducing the volume of the cord blood and removing the red blood cells to get to the stem cell component, the total nucleated cells. And then we have the infrastructure and so forth of storing the units. So for families, we understand, for instance, that most families are buying their first rake or they're paying their first nursery, they're starting a family, and we do everything we can to make it as easy as possible. We have payment plans where it can cost as little as $50 a month to store the cord blood, to pay for the initial service of storing the cord blood. So it really becomes a value proposition, you know, what's it worth to store that and to speculate that you may need it versus one day may need it and you may not be able to acquire it because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity.
0: If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Mr. Maury Krauss, founder and chief technology officer of ViaCell. Today we are discussing umbilical cord blood transplantation. This segment has been focusing on the controversy surrounding umbilical cord blood collection. I think the issue is I understand the value judgment, and I guess some obstetricians have this concern that if we make this cord blood donation opportunity broadly available, that will really be putting an element of pressure and perhaps guilt on families who are not really much of a position to afford this. And indeed, uh, a few years ago, the Wall Street Journal health columnist ran a column complaining about the direct marketing of cord blood collection companies to patients because her hairdresser, who was pregnant, was asking her about this in her third trimester of pregnancy. And really, the hairdresser wasn't in a position to make this investment, but would just feel an element of remorse for not being able to afford it. So I I guess that's where some of the angst among some obstetricians comes in. So do you have any guiding words of advice for them who the doctors who just are a little, don't want to introduce one more expense that a patient can't afford?
1: Yeah, I I think that... You know, this is it's always a value proposition, and there are many things in our society for which people are approached that you could make this argument that either they don't have enough income or they're being pressured in some way. But I think that where we come down is balanced education. If people are educated to the fact that you can do family banking, that it has some potential benefits that if you're at a hospital where they do do uh, public banking, that you have that option available to you. And if you can't save it, then there are other systems, including National Bone Marrow Registry, where you can search for a graft. And all those uh, systems have their costs and they have their pitfalls. But without balanced education, you run several risks. And let me define those a little bit, and I would put them into the category of beneficence and autonomy that with the principle of beneficence, it's far better to educate parents regarding the potential value so that they can take the steps to protect and promote the health interests of their family over any clinical harm. And with regard to autonomy, we should recommend that it's the patient's perspective on his or her health interests that are are important, and they should have the information to make those decisions. Just like with any medication or any product that's sold, there's always an element of caveat emptor. You should be careful. You should be wary. You should understand what the investment is and what the costs are. And in this case, I'll tell you that the average income of families who banked in 2000 was about $150,000 per year. Today, it's around $50,000 per year. And as these now, today, for instance, only about 3% of birthing families do decide to bank their baby's umbilical cord blood nationally, in practices that do educate and where the patients are well-informed, that approaches 25% so access to this is important for beneficence for autonomy but in the end it's it's a patient's own decision and uh, we're very careful as as a company that provides a cord blood banking service to lead with medicine with accurate and well-documented information on the value and risks of cord blood transplantation, the difference between a related unit and unrelated unit, so that the patient can make up their own mind about whether or not they should save the unit. In my opinion, this is not a decision of the obstetrician. It's really a decision of the family. And they don't step in to make those decisions for patients in other cases. And I think in this case, the best Practice is to make sure that there is good balanced information and allow the patient to make that decision.
0: I want to thank Maury Krauss, founder and chief technology officer of Viacell, who has been our guest. We've been discussing umbilical cord blood transplantation. In this segment, we focused on the controversy surrounding umbilical cord blood collection. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.